Hello, hello, shalom, and good evening to you all. Um, this is our Tuesday night webinar on Facebook on our Dream Dog Central Florida Dog Training Facebook page. And that was a little ding telling me that Dream Dogs is live with the webinar. Uh, so we have some friends who are going to be joining us. And as they, hi Terry, hi Nicole, as they come on, hi Maddie, uh, you know, we'll let everybody have a few minutes to get on tell you a little bit about what's been going on with us, and, um, and then we'll get into it because we've got a lot to cover this week. We've had a lot of people asking questions, which has been fantastic. I actually have uh, a file. It's under my notes, um, Apple, so it's my Apple notes, and one of the documents is just service dog Q&A webinar, and as people write questions, I add them on there, and as we cover them, I delete them, so it's pretty easy that way. Um, but it works out good. Hi, Deb. Uh, so, questions for today. And if you guys have any, feel free to write them in the comment box below or to the side or however you're watching it, and we will get to those as well. Okay? So, our first question that we had for tonight is, we have some service dog questions and some just normal, normal dog training questions. You know what I mean is uh, what vest or harness should I use and what should I have on it? So this is one we've, we've gotten a couple different times this week and I figured I will let you know what we do. So we've tried all sorts in the past. I actually have, this is from, okay, you ready? How many years ago? Luke 17, this is from about 14 years ago, 15 years ago, from my Siberian Husky, I made it because I'm crafting. You got to remember guys, 14, 15 years ago, it's hard to find stuff on the internet. And I was very impatient then like I am now. So I like pockets. I've always liked pockets on vests. So this one had pockets so I can put a poo bag or some cards in it. I made her up a patch service dog access required. Do not touch with the Siberian Husky. And cause she was a Siberian Husky with the, um, what is it? Like the red cross star thing. I had the paws on the side pouch and little little vest thing like i couldn't believe it i found that it was in my my sewing case that i got out this week to work on something uh, so i like vest um she's also had bandanas i actually ordered some bandanas for her and i still have them i'm um, saying you know medical alert service dog or something like that which are nice especially in florida i will sometimes use a bandana i have some that are basically just the webbing straps where you can put service dog or put a pouch on it because of the heat you know, you, you've got to get creative whenever it gets too hot or too cold uh, for your service dog. I do like um, Patience and Love on Etsy. Uh, she does really great work. Um, she has, if you look for service dog and training stuff, she has a guide dog cape. And it says guide dog and training, but you can ask her to put on whatever you'd like. So we have a few of them that say service dog in training with the paw print. And they're really cute. And they fit everything from like a three-month-old poodle or four-month-old golden up to an adult Great Dane you know, and it looks fine on all of those. Personally, I like embroidery and I like pockets. So if I can have a, a vest with embroidery and pockets, I'm happy. I'm not as wild about patches because patches do come off. They, they peel, they don't look as nice. Um, and I'm not as wild about pouches because we have one that I do like a lot for Arrow. And it has these two saddlebag pouches. And you know, the problem is they'll sometimes flip so they're both on the same side and that gets to be aggravating. And then uh, you have to make sure that it's weighted 
roughly even so it doesn't go lopsided on him which is another thing that can get to be a little bit annoying um you know just because of what it is whereas with the zipper pouches built in there it doesn't seem to need that balancing act as much so on patience and love we have a long body one that gypsy's been using that's her new purple one and uh, we have a butterfly one ordered um we have some of those um the guide dog capes um that say service dog we have two i gave one away to a friend so i had three i have two now and i have one more coming and then they also have something called a leash wrap which is about eight to ten inches maybe and it has snaps on it and there's a pocket inside of it so you could put stuff in it and you can snap that on your leash so i keep one of those in in the uh, jeep and i need to put one in the truck too in case we're out and we forget one of their vests and we decide that we need to stop somewhere i do like to have the dog vested but um you know sometimes you don't uh harnesses so some people do like to have harnesses for their service dog with harnesses, remember that until the dog is 18 to 24 months and his joints have closed, you should not be doing any weight-bearing uh, mobility stuff with that dog. So just be careful. And I know people who want to have their dog do mobility. So around a year old, they'll get their dog a mobility harness. And that is wrong in so many ways. You cannot put that type of pressure on the dog at that age. And the dog get a year might not be the same fit as a dog at 18 months or 24 months. So just be patient, which is really, really, really difficult. I know, trust me, I'm the queen of I want it now. Um, and, and just wait on that mobility harness. Uh, and when it comes to mobility harnesses or counterbalance harnesses or, um, you know, guide, you know, light guide stuff, um, really make sure you get something that's fit well. I mean, any service dog equipment, guys, make sure it's fit well. Um, check for reviews and recommendations. Um, make sure that it's all good. Okay, so we've got a few people popping in, Jane and Deb and Anjanette and Susan, so good. And Maddie says, I'm so happy I have a dog now who can have big pockets. So Maddie has a, a lab, a chocolate lab pup, who uh, she's maybe to have big pockets because her other one's one of the, the littles for service dog work. And there's only so big a pockets a little can have on him. Uh, so I do like that. I, I've started my phone net case now. Um, I can have some cash. I have a a credit card or two, I can put my driver's license in there. So this is, when I get to the store, I make sure I have this. It's like a little micro wallet type, but it has my phone on it too. Um, I have my tote bag that has my real wallet in there. But if we're gonna head to Disney, I don't bring it because I don't use tote bags at Disney because then I have to get checked and it takes forever. So I try to travel as light as possible, but there are things I need. I need to have my inhaler, I need to have um, Kleenex, I need to have my womanly things. Uh, I need to have my floss because it annoys me when I get food in my teeth. So my dog gets to carry that stuff for me, which is really nice. Um, everything is personalized for what you want for your dog. So if you're doing a vest and you see a color that you love, get that color, right? How cool is that? Um, and you can do that, which is pretty neat. Now, Rich loves the typical vest. Um, the Amazon type vest. And we have a few of them. Um, Arrow used one for years. Uh, you know, we've, we've all had them or seen them, right? The ones on Amazon. I mean, he likes it because you can put the, the label on that says in training or service dog in training or, you know, service dog, and you could just flip it out and put on whatever you want to put on it. And that's great. But like I said, the problem is the pouches. So the, th the uh, labels themselves that say, say service dog, 
written in the uh, reflective, they don't last for long. So if your dog's out working, you know, lying down, getting up, again, we see it a lot at Disney. Those things can age like three years in a week of being at Disney. And then you need to buy a new one. And those set of patches are what, 10 to $15 for the set of patches. And you're like, come on. Um, and if you need the pockets, the pockets are like 20 bucks a piece for those little tiny pouches and they don't hold a lot. So really sometimes the cheap comes out expensive. Uh, now, I don't mind a do not pet, do not pet, do not touch, do not distract on there. But I do see some who have, you know, naughty, naughty, cuss, cuss words, or they're just plain old rude, or they have things on there that only people in the disabled community will get and people who are not in the disabled community won't get. So I think that's kind of difficult. Um, being trainers, we do try to, you know, bridge that gap and use it as instruction uh, for people. Uh, you know, so we usually, you know, if they come up and ask, you know, like, can I pet him? No, like he's in training and, and uh, what have you. And if I'm at my limit for the day, uh, that's whenever Rich steps in and, and talks to people. Good. Kathy's here and Cara's here. Perfect. Good. Got a nice group. Uh, so I, that was my first question that we had. Here's the next question. How do you increase food drive and toy drive and which is better for a service dog? Okay. First, I want to talk to you guys what food drive and toy drive is and then about which is better for a service dog or even a pet dog. You know, you've got to wonder about these things because it comes up. So food drive is your dog's want of that food. What will your dog do to get that food? You know, so you can take it and you can lure it and like basically guide your dog all over the place with it. Will he go with it? And the typical is the sit. You hold the food at the nose, the dog sniffs it, and you move it straight up between their ears. So as the dog's head goes up, their butt comes down. Okay. That has to do with food drive. And then the other part of it is what will your dog do for food? Will he sit there and let you hand feed him? Will he work for it? Um, you can use it to build up some engagement and some chase. So what we'll do is we'll take some food or some, you know, some kibble or treats or whatever, and we'll have the dog sit, right? They sit, I give them a click for sitting or tell them yes or break or good or clicker, click. And then I toss it across the room and they run and get it. And then I call them to come and they run back to me and I tell them to sit and they sit and I click and I toss it across the room. So you can really build up and have a lot of fun that way. You can have your dog work for his whole bowl of dinner. You know, he has his bowl of kibble there. Don't just put it down there, make him work for it. Even if you go and, and he goes and he gets it and you have him come back and you feed him a little handful of food or you have a secondary bowl there and you put a little bit in there. So, you know, that stuff doesn't get all over your fingers. Uh, but food drive is great. I can do a lot with food drive. Uh, you know, you can work on fine tuning. You can work on positioning. Uh, we had Chance out uh, at Winn-Dixie today. So Chance is a, a pity who's been doing privates with us since, I want to say May. And he's in for boot camp now. His owners are over near Jacksonville. <coughs> and we had him out and we brought him to uh, Winn-Dixie. Uh, we just got him in on Sunday and we were doing, uh, working in the aisle some, I was working with him with food and I had food in my hand and I just had my hand at my side there and working on a focused heel. And then I had food not in my hand and I had my hand more in front of my body and as we're walking, you know, good, 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 good. And then I reached in the pocket and got him food. So I was using it both ways and because Chance likes treats, it worked out really nicely. And he got it, you know, and, and I was able to use the food drive. I was able to reward him right there. And I love food drive for every dog, 
makes it a lot more fun to work. Now, toy drive is their want to do things to get a toy or to play with you at the end. Now, I like this in the dogs as well. If you're going to work on a retrieve or a fetch or a pickup or anything like that, you really want to play around and build your dog's toy drive. It makes it a lot more fun. You know, Arrow will do anything for a toy. And if you guys have come out to the ranch, you know this because he brings you sticks and he will drop it at your feet and he will nudge it at you until you finally kick it or pick it up and throw it to him because he is teaching you and see you can learn. So he loves to play. However, when he's out working, say I'm working him something, I'm doing the same thing I was doing with Chance, right? And I'm working him in the aisle working on heel. I can't get out the squeaky toy and toss it because he did good. And I can't give him a squeaky toy at the store to carry around because he's gonna go squeaky, 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 squeaky all through the store and it's gonna drive me insane. So I want both. I want toy drive and I want food drive. I want toy drive for the fun of it, but I want food drive for the ease of it. Okay. Um, now, Era does love his toys and he is great at carrying and fetching and picking up and all that stuff. Uh, we were at conference a few years ago and he, he had picked out his toy that he wanted. Um, Kong sets up a booth there and oh, so much good stuff there. So he had picked out his toy and he would carry it with him wherever he went that day. So we go back to our booth and he's, he's there with his Kong toy and we go to go out for lunch or go out for dinner and he wants to bring his toy. So we let him carry his toy. He wasn't chomping on it. He wasn't chewing it. He was just carrying it. And if he would have dropped it, we would have picked it up and carried it. But it was really cute. And if he wouldn't have had the toy drive, because when we got him, he had no toy drive. He had food drive, but he had no toy drive. So you should be able to work on getting both of them. Um, if you had to pick one for service dogs, I would pick the food drive. But like I said, the toy drive's a lot of fun. And if you're good, you can bring out both of them. Now you can't bring out both of them at every dog because some of them are just like, Meh, no, don't want to do this. Uh, for example, we're working with Marvel today, Marvel the pointer in for service dog work and trying to get some retrieve stuff out of him. And he's just like, focus, I will focus on you, focus. And he's sitting there staring at me. And I'm like, no, honey, look at this. Go get it. He's like, focus on you. I'm not even going to look at that toy. I'm focusing on you like I'm supposed to. I'm like, oh, Marvel. No, here, look it. Go get this toy. And he's like, focus on you. So I brought Gypsy in. And Gypsy loves to retrieve stuff and bring it back to me. Her command for that is oops. Uh, and if I drop something and I say, oops, she comes and she picks it up and she hands it to me, which is awesome. I really love it. So we're working with that. And so... Marvel is in there, Gypsy's in there, and I'm like, look what I got, go get it, and Gypsy's going to get it, and that gets Marvel super stoked about it, building up his toy drive with us, and he's going, he's getting it, he's playing around with it, um, or trying to at least, he's basically jumping over Gypsy, so it's something that we'll work on some more with him, and Rich is great with the toy drive stuff, I'm better with the food, he's better with the toy, so that's why we work together so well as well, not only because we've been married for over 20 years, but because, you know, we do complement each other that way which is really nice. We don't just say, I like your shirt. I like your hair. You know, like we work together well too. Okay. So got another question here about Archie. Now Archie's on a six months old and 43 pounds. Okay. So think about that. Six months old and 43 pounds. Um, Rue is about 40 pounds. That's a decent size, especially for only being six months old. Uh, in the morning when I take him out, he has so much energy. He runs around like a crazy dog. Okay. And that would be fine if he watched where he's running. 
but he's literally knocked me off my feet. He hits coming from behind on my knees and I go down. He has done this to other people too. He has ran and tried to jump through the glass on the storm door. One of us is going to get hurt for sure. And she says, on your Tuesday webinar, can you address this behavior? I know he needs to run off this energy, but it would be nice to be able to tame him out to play, take him out to play without worrying about being knocked down. Oh, by the way, he acts as though nothing has happened. He just keeps going. Yeah, they don't realize whenever they, uh, they hurt us like that. Um, and it's happened with me before, actually, a couple of times. One time, years and years ago. Um, my friend and I would take our dogs out tracking. So I had my German Shepherd Jedi and she had her dog and we'd go, we'd set the track up and then we'd go a couple blocks away and we'd let them play. You know, it was a whole big open area. Uh, and so we'd let them play and run and they're running and they're chasing each other. And I saw them coming towards me and I'm like, I'm just going to stand still and they're just going to run on either side of me. Right? Wrong. They ran right into me. I went flying in the air and landed who knows where. They hit me right in the knee there, shin area, ended up with a big old goose egg. I was out of it. I had no idea what had happened. All I know is one minute I'm like, they're going to go around me. And the next minute I'm lying on the ground looking up at the sky. Okay. Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, and then we just had, it was, I think over the summer, um, Arrow and Rome, Arrow and Gypsy were running from the bedroom into the living room and they knocked into me from the front. So my knees kind of bent the way they're not supposed to and it hurts. And I'm like, no, no more. You can play outside. So I, I've been there. I've been where you are with Archie there and they don't, they don't realize what's going on. I mean, we had dog, who was it the other day? Loki was out here and he had gotten out of the dog fence area out in the back here and he's trying to get in and he couldn't get in. And so he went kind of running into the fence like slow run. He didn't get much speed to go, but he kind of ran into the fence. You know, they're, they're kind of goofy. Um, no, you can show me later. Oh yeah. Well, honey, the therapy horse was in um, our, our little Sumter County newspaper. It's really cute. And she's a little cute horsey. Want to see the picture? No. Okay. All right. They have to live in Sumter and get the Sumter shopper if they want to see them. Okay. Um, so this is what we started doing is no, they're not allowed to roughhouse in the house. Okay. Um, if they want to do like bitey face with each other, fine. Um, the other thing that I would recommend doing with Archie is working on that toy drive. Oh, see, there's a, an order in which I do my questions. I would work on that toy drive. So instead of him just running around like a crazy dog, I would work on channeling that for good instead of for evil. So what that means is get him playing with something. Okay. What I like is, are you ready? Um, oh, what's the name of them? Poolers, P-U-L-L-E-R. Look on Amazon for pooler, P-U-L-L-E-R. It's a purple ring. You actually get two of them in the pack, P-U-L-L-E-R, like pooler, <laughs> right? Um, but you get two of these purple rings in the pack. And they're not a chew toy. Do not give it to your dog and leave them unattended. It is a fetch toy. And we've used this to teach, you know, to work on that retrieve. Um, and it's one of the things we're going to be using with Marvel as well. Um, because it's a toy. So you get them all excited about this ring, right? And you throw it. And hopefully they go and get it. And if not, if they see another dog doing it, usually that helps. They get the toy. You call them to come back. They bring it back to you. If they don't want to drop it, guess what? It comes with a second toy. So you whip out the second toy. They drop the first toy. You throw the second toy. Pick up the first toy. They bring you, call them to come back. They bring you back the second toy. 
You show them the first toy, they drop the second toy, you toss the first toy, you pick up the second toy, and you do it all over again. And it's a great way to tire your dog out because it's that focused retrieve that you're working on starting. It's focused play. It's not just run around crazy in the yard and get into trouble and knock you over. Instead, there's an outlet. Like I said, we're using that power for good instead of for evil, right? Um, now you can do the same thing with tennis ball, but I really like these poolers um, with Arrow, my Malinois, with Gypsy, with Rue. I don't think we've used them much with Roma or Zoe. Zoe doesn't want to play much, but we've also used it with a lot of the boot camp dogs who come in. And it's really nice because they get it. Like it's super fun. Now it will look terrible after a while because it has all these little holes in it from teeth marks, teeth marks everywhere, but it still works and it lasts. Okay. So check out the pooler toys. I really like them for this. I mean, again, you can use Kongs, you can use Frisbees or discs because Frisbee is a trademark term. So it's Kong. Uh, I do like to have two toys, two, not chew toys, but two toys. And these are toys, whenever you're doing interactive play like this with your dog, your dog does not have access to these toys unless you're playing with him together. So there's two main types of toys that you can have. There's um, interactive toys like that. And that's like a ball, um, chuckets, um, tugs, anything that you're going to play with your dog. That's an interactive toy because you are interacting with your dog, right? And then there's solitary toys. And solitary toys are toys that your dog can go off and like whatever. Like he can go off and chew on. So like um, really good ones are, for example, the Kong. You guys know what the Kong is, right? It looks like the red rubber snowman and you can put stuff in it. Well, if I'm going to use it for fetch, it's an interactive toy. But if I'm going to stuff it with whatever, what did we just stuff some with, Rich? A banana. We took half a banana, popped it up in that conch, stuck it in the freezer. The dogs loved them. And these bananas were going, uh, with the ripeness. So it was a great use for the bananas. And Gypsy loves bananas, so she loved it. Because the other dogs saw how much Gypsy loved it, they're like, well, if she likes it, I want one of those too. Okay? Um, so a conch can be both an interactive or an individual, a solitary toy. Um, frisbee, um, tennis balls, um, bumpers, tugs, um, tossy things. They're all interactive toys. Um, sterilized beef shin bones, pig ears, cow hooves. Um, if you do the nylon bones, I don't like nylon bones much because like nylon, it's like plastic bones. So like give your dog a pasta bone and he'll eat it and it's all good. So I don't do nylon bones. Um, but anything that your dog can take and do on his own. So if you have a dog who likes to play with stuffies, you know, you get a stuffed toy and they sit there and they'll like chew on it or squeaky it. It, it can be a, a solitary toy, right? So solitary toys, they can have access to, you do want to rotate them because just like little kids, they get bored if they see they're the same ones all the time. We have at least three different toy boxes in the house here and one of them is huge, okay? Um, so we have those and we rotate them out. You know, we rotate through what, what they have and then we have the, um, the interactive toys which are up. So they get them out. We do our training sessions, we do the fun, we tire them out energy-wise, and then they go back up there. They don't get to just like chew on a tennis ball just because. Tennis ball is for something particular, something important, something um, separate like that, okay? And Jeanette, I can totally agree. Yep, and Moana, hi. And Kimmy joined, nice. So yeah, let me know how that works with Archie by giving him something constructive to do um, instead of something destructive to do. <laughs> Um, the other thing is if, if he does start running towards you is would be, you know, maybe to sit down 
uh, maybe to stand with your back up against, the, you know, a wall or a fence so he can't bum rush you. Ha 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 ha, see what I did there? Um, if he starts coming towards you, you know, no, stop and put your hands out like you're, you know, a crossing guard. Stop, don't come over here. Uh, you know, don't run into me. But I think he's doing it because he wants someone to play with and you're it. Tag. Okay. Here we got another question. And like I said, if you guys have any, just go ahead and write them in the comments. If you don't, if you're listening to this afterwards, just go ahead and message me. You can email me. Um, you can Facebook message me. Um, just let me know what your questions are. Okay. And we're happy to do it to answer them. So it gives me something to talk about. Um, hi, Victorian Richard. I am 16 years old and I'm watching all of your live videos and posts over the past year or so now. This inspired me to want to eventually start my own board and train out of my home. My future is planned out around it. I have admired your training techniques online and I have a question. Why do you choose to toss the treats when rewarding rather than feed from the hand? I've always read it's better for dogs to receive rewards from your hand because they will recognize that it comes from you, the handler. It's pure curiosity on my part, and I would love to hear back. Can I do this one and you'll add to it with better stuff? This is Rich, my husband. He has joined us. Yes, please. Just for a second. Okay. Um, um, see, I was just getting no, uh, yeah. anybody. We got kicked in the head by a cow today. A little tiny scratch right between his eyes. It's so, so close. It's so sad. It's just under view. Anyway, um, uh, um, when it's in your hand, you can control it. You can control, control the amount of time that you're, you're holding the treat, and you can um, uh, make the treat experience last a long time, and you can move the treat a little bit so the dog steps forward a couple steps and breaks out of his stay almost like you're the the thing that the word that you say maybe you say yes or break or something when when he moves out of his position and you're insinuating that 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 stay or that that thing that he was supposed to do is over right and he jumps up and gets his treat um, um if you hold your hand very still and you hold it right on him you know you say sit and you hold it right up to him and um you say good or whatever it is that you want him to keep doing it Right? You can hold the tree very still and get it right in his mouth. Then he keeps doing what he's doing. And, and, but he's rewarded for holding on and keep going. Um, uh, so, so the same way as moving your hand away, and, and he has to get up and get the treat, is the same as um, break. And you throw the treat on the ground, and he has to go and get the treat because there it is a you, you know, foot away or so. Now, Vicky probably has something way better to tell you. Okay, here we go. <laughs> that was Rich, everybody. Thank you, right, Rich. Thanks. Um, love for rich, right? So why, how I do it is basically it resets the dog. I will toss a treat on the floor. Um, if I'm working on sit, for example, the dog is in sit position, you can clicker and your clicker is basically the shutter on your camera, taking a picture of that behavior. So the dog, as soon as your dog butt touches ground and he's in sit, you can click and you can treat. Now, if you're working on extending that sit into a sit stay or reinforcing the dog in that position, you can deliver it right to the dog. Now, some dogs are a little bit nippy, you know, puppies. Think about that, right? They're like little piranhas with sharp, sharp teeth. Um, some dogs might be food aggressive. And I like having 10 fingers and I don't want to have nine. So I might not want to hand deliver food to a dog who's aggressive in the beginning. Um, but I click, I treat the dog still in a sit position. What happens if the dog's in a sit position and I click to mark that behavior and as a reward, I toss the treat a few feet away. The dog gets up, runs over, grabs the treat, 
I can use it to come back, call him to come. He's going to come back to me because we've kind of been playing this game. And he starts what I call boomeranging it, you know, going out, coming back, going out, coming back, because he knows I've got the goodies. And so he'll come back to me and then I can get a sit again. So I do this a lot with sit and down and place. Because if, they, if they're uh, on a place or if they're in a sit or they're in a down and I click and I reward them while they're in position, I can't do anything else. I have to wait for them to get out of it. And I don't want to do that. So after a few of those, I'll click and reward in position. Maybe you got to get them to do something else or get them to do a touch is always a good one. That's why we start with teaching touch. And touch is you hold your hand up and they touch their nose to your hand and click and treat that. Um, so say they're out there, they sit, right? Clicker, toss the treat, they go and get it and then they get confused. They start looking around like, I don't know what, what I was doing. But I'm, uh, I'm out here now, and there's kind of a smell over here, and there's a kitty over here, and I think I might want to check them out, but the dog doesn't know come yet. Or if it's like a lot of adult dogs who come to us, come's been spoiled because the owners have been using the word come, and the dog's been blowing them off for years, right? Touch is going to work the same way as come. It's going to get the dog to come back to you, but it's not the word come, right? So touch, oh, the dog will come back and touch. Get another click, toss the treat. He picks it up, if he touch, sit, click, treat. So I'll do both. I will hand deliver. Um, as Rich was saying, you can put it in your hand. You can lure the dog where you want them to go. So as we're working on a focused heel, or maybe we're working on teaching spin, or we're doing some pivot exercises, I very well might have it in my hand and guide the dog's head. But how I think about it too is I want the dog to be able to do it without that guidance there. I want to be able to wean, to fade off that treat lure, that food lure, and get it where they're walking beside me and checking in with me. Just like Chance today at the store, I had my, the food in my hand, my hand at my hip, and he's walking looking at me. I mark and release and, you know, give him the food, but then I don't want to have to have food. So then I'm going to hold my hand with no food in it, you know, like right out in front of me. And he's doing it good, 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 break and give him his food that way. So I play around with everything. There's nothing that is safe from being used by me. <laughs> um, but no, it's a great thing. And I'm, I'm really glad that she noticed that um, because I wasn't just reading that to, you know, share with you guys how awesome we are. But, uh, but it is, it is a great question. And we had another question that came up on uh, why I use the good, 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 good. Or and that is it's called an um, an intermediate bridge, and you guys know what a clicker is, right? I've got one right here. Let me show you. This is a clicker. It's one type of clicker, and it makes the sound. And that sound means I like what you did. You're doing what I want you to do, and I'm going to give you a treat now. So whenever the dog's sitting, as soon as their butt's down on the ground, you can clicker. If you're working on down, as soon as their belly's on the ground and their elbows are on the ground, you can click. If you're working on the focused heel while they're walking and they're turning and they're looking up at you, you can click. But that's just capturing one moment in time. One of the things you can do as well is to extend that out. So if I'm working on a sit stay, a down stay, a place stay, um, I can, they're in position, not click right away. Good or good, 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 good right? And that's going to extend it out. They're going to hear that click. They're going to know it's okay to get off of place. It's okay to stand up from the down or the sit and come and get their treat. And I can even still toss it. 
So you're talking like mind blowing stuff, right? Because we can incorporate all this stuff, but it has to be done right, okay? Um, and it has to be worked at the level that the dog is. If the dog is just learning sit, you can't expect your dog to do a sit stay. It's not fair to you or for your dog, okay? Um, and you wanna wean off of it. I've had a lot of people come in and they're like, my dog knows how to use the clicker. Watch, click, 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 see, he looked at me. Like, well, I guess that's one way to use it, but it's not my way to use it. And my way to use it is the best way to use it, or I wouldn't be using it that way. Uh, so, you know, we do sometimes reintroduce it. We do have dogs who are afraid of the clicker. They're afraid of the noise or they don't like it. So for them, we can either um, maybe go with a clicky pen. Click, click. It's a little bit quieter. Or I could muffle it instead of I can put it in my hands, put it behind my back. Uh, you know, go for a softer one. So they do have different clicky tones to them, depending if it's like an Audi belly button clicker or a box clicker. Box clickers are usually a little louder. I have some of these, like the new batch I got are much quieter. Um, so you have that or just not using one. Now I do like using a clicker because I can clicker things and I can treat while I'm doing other things. What do you mean by that? It means uh, when I'm working a dog on, say, focus out at a farmer's market or what have you out in public somewhere, I can click and treat the dog for just checking in with me and looking at me and I can toss the treat over there. Cause remember, I don't want the dog to sit and stare at me, get a treat and keep staring at me and never leave from staring at me. I want the dog to be able to reset himself. So if I toss a treat, he'll go, he'll pick up the treat, he'll come back, he'll sit and he'll stare at me again, which is what I want. Click and toss the treat another direction. He goes over there, gets it, comes back and stares at me again. Maybe I'll hold it out a little bit and then I'll click and treat him. And, uh, and so we'll do that. And so I can do that while I'm talking to somebody. So like I was telling you when we were talking about the vests, I get people all the time who come up and they have questions about service dogs, about dog training, about different breeds, about whatever. Tell me about their dog. They're talking about a service dog they had seen at one point. So we, I will, as I'm talking to them, I'll work the dog. Click, treat, click, treat, click, treat. And that works out beautifully, you know, because I don't need to. I've also been on the phone talking to people. Uh, and using the clicker with that. So they don't have to know. And if it wasn't for me using the clicker, this is how the conversation would have been. Click, and the dog did really good. Break, and the dog did really, really good. Yes. And that would get really aggravating if I was talking to somebody on the phone and I kept interrupting with whatever. Or think about it, they're telling me a story. Well, we have this dog. Yes. Okay. And well, like he's causing all sorts of trouble in the house. Yes. What? Um, and I... I I just don't know what to do. And he went after the mailman today and he bit the mailman. Yes, good boy. What? Like, it's just, it'd be the craziest conversation, right? Whereas as I'm talking to them, I can still do the clicker and the treat if I wanted to. Um, and it works. It just, it works out well. I love it. It's, it's beautiful. Um, Kathy says, thank you. I'll definitely try all these suggestions. Susan says, I use toys for active training and food for side training. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Susan. Yeah. That would work out beautifully. Um, like I can, you guys remember like when hurricanes come through and stuff and your dog's not wanting to go outside, you need some way to exercise them and sitting across the room with this food bowl, um, sitting at the one end of the hallway with this food bowl, it works out really good to do the boomerang training. So that means your dog comes to you. Get your dog to sit down, place, touch, whatever, do something, mark it, toss the food across the room, toss the food down the hall. Your dog has to run down there, get it, 
you call your dog to come back, your dog comes back to you, you can click and treat that or get them to sit again. And it's going to really, it's going to mentally tire your dog and it's going to physically tire your dog out, which is exactly what we want. We want a tired, happy dog at the end of the day, right? We don't want to have a dog who's like, I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm going to park over your couch and I just love you. But yep, Susan, exactly. Maddie says, yay, Rich. And she says, Venom likes to bite at my hand and jump when I do the steps with teaching heel. Any tips? So he's trying to figure out exactly what it is. What I would do is, how is he with his pivots? With um, Do you do that with the, um, say, upside down food bowl and work on that first? And then tell him exactly what it is that you want, that you want him doing this, but biting is not that, okay? So right now, biting and jumping at your hand. If your hand is lower, it's going to be a little harder for him to jump up. and um, Maybe you can even take, say, like a wooden spoon, some peanut butter at the end, and that could be your healing stick for a while so he doesn't jump up and bite your hand. He can work on licking the peanut butter. So if he bites at a wooden spoon with peanut butter, I don't know how much peanut butter he's going to be getting. But I'd try that, Maddie, and let me know. I'll watch the rest of, of this later. I'll have to get ready for dog training class. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you, Maddie. Um, okay, we got a couple questions here. Uh, from a friend of mine. What's a good technique for, I'll call it paying attention to me, barking to stop it? I'm ignoring it. I've also said, nope, unacceptable. So what I'm taking that to mean is the dog's barking, barking, barking in order to get attention. And we have a couple of them right now in boot camp. And they're barking, barking, barking to get the attention. So um, ignoring it doesn't seem to work because they don't think you can hear them. So they'll do it louder and longer. So what we do with it is no, and then a deterrent of some sort. So it could be the bonker. A bonker is a rolled up towel with two gum bands. Look up Gary Wilkes, W-I-L-K-E-S. Gary's awesome. We call him Bonker Gary because everybody has nicknames. So you can know, follow through with the bonker. Here's the problem. People don't want to follow through. They don't want to get off their butt because they're lazy. And I'm included because I'm guilty of that. So what we do is no in that. Say it doesn't work. Say bonker doesn't work with the dog. We had one dog who, no, I'm not using a bonker with her. Um, she didn't like the, um, it's called a doggy don't, D-O-G-G-I-E-D-O-N apostrophe T, the doggy don't. And it looks like a taser and it sounds like a taser, but it's not a taser, but it makes that sound and the dogs don't like it. Um, we've also have some pet convincers which is air, compressed air in a can. It goes like, it's like Caesar in a can. Um, you could do a penny can, right? Um, what's another one that people use? Oh, water bottles. I don't like using water bottles as a deterrent. And this actually came to me from one of my friends who's also a nurse. And she was saying that, because her dog has a bunch of skin problems, skin issues, right? And she was saying that the problem with using a water bottle as a deterrent is, well, first people are silly and they tell you to put lemon juice or vinegar in it and then you're squirting your dog and you know it's eventually going to get in their eye, right? Um, but you want your dog to like water so you can give him a bath easier, right? Rue loves the hose and he chases the hose all over the place in the yard. Um, but say your dog needs to have a spritz of something. You know, your dog has a hot spot or your dog has a boo-boo and you need to treat it. Well, now you've made the water bottle something evil, okay? And now you're not going to be able to do that without a lot of 
fight in your dog and you don't want to fight your dog whenever your dog's sick and injured and needs treatment. So try not to use a water bottle as a deterrent, guys. But like I said, we've got the bonker, which is free. Everyone has towels on. Most people have gum bands. Um, we've got the doggy don't. We've got pet convincers. We've got penny cans. But the key is the no. I mean, if you don't want to use no because your dogs ignore you with no, try something else. Nope would be fine. Uh-uh would be fine. Um, nine, which I think is funny, would be good. Um, you can call it, you know, like um, frog and just do it. It's just a matter of pairing it up. Your dog doesn't know that no means no, right? Um, so if you know no from a different language, which is the nine, yet, right? But you've got to mark it and then you've got to follow through with it. So no, um, e-collar stuff, you write no and push the button. Whatever it is, you have to do the verbal and then you have to do the deterrent, okay? In that order. Now here's the problem is say a little kid is reaching for a hot stove. What do you do? You slap their hand and then you tell them, no, don't do that, that's hot, right? You do everyone, like that's kind of the prime example for it. That's the wrong way to do it. No, and then do the, the, the deterrent, right? Now it might be like tap the little kid's hand away. That might be, you know, pick him up and remove him from the situation. But if he's going to keep going back to it, you know, you're going to need to increase it. So you need to do something that is effective for the dog and that's going to work for the dog because, you know, it's kind of silly to say no and throw a treat at him. Um, when the dogs are out here, they usually learn that no means no from me. And I don't use that. No, don't do that. That's not the tone of voice I use. It's a little more firm than that, but... I've got four of my dogs back here and they're being good, so I won't use it. I'll just say it's my mom voice, okay? Um, but you need to know and then follow through. Even if you don't want to get off your butt and go into the room and throw a towel at the crate, you gotta. And that's where the noise ones come in handy too if they work for your dog. Or if you, like I said, if you're doing e-collar stuff, then you can have that right there by you so you're not having to interrupt it every so often to go and do it because it can be annoying and they will do it to get your attention. Um, now, Gypsy knows retrieve. So whenever I throw a bonker at a dog, her job is to go and get it and bring it back to me and then I give her a treat for it. So that turns out really nicely that I have my little helper in that. Here, Elaine says she uses wrong instead of no. Exactly, yeah, like I said, it doesn't matter. You can use applesauce if you want to. It's just kind of longer to say applesauce. And for me, the first thing that's gonna come out, the first thing that I'm gonna think of is no. So that's why we use it. But like come, a lot of dogs come and it's already spoiled. You know, they're already like, yeah, I've heard that word all the time. I'm not gonna listen to you. So we're probably gonna end up changing it up uh, Luke loves his different languages, so I'm going to ask him what word he wants to use as no, and we'll try that and see how that goes. Um, service dog question. I just learned that the Air Carrier Access Act supersedes the ADA. Yep. If you want to know my thoughts on that. So the ADA covers um, service dogs, right? The American with Disabilities Act through the Department of Justice um, are the ones who enforce it, and they cover most things. Now they don't cover the, um, they, let me see if I get this right. I believe they cover the airports, but not the airlines. <laughs> so with the um, emotional support dogs being able to come into the airports, they're not technically supposed to be in the airports because that's under the um, ADA, but the Air Carrier Access Act covers everything from like either the, the checkpoint or like the, um, the, the plane part of it. 
I do the dog training. I don't pay attention as much to the laws. As long as I know what I'm doing, I'm good to go. Um, but yeah, so they're talking right now about changing the Air Carrier Access Act and what the um, airlines can do. So here's where it gets a little sticky is how is it going to affect the service dogs? Because they can say um, different things. It doesn't fall under the ADA. So you can't say, well, the ADA says that my dog doesn't have to be vested or certified, or I don't have to show proof of whatever, because the Air Carrier Access Act is different, which is why they accept the emotional support animals, right? And they let them fly free on the airplanes. Now, I think if they change it, I don't think they're going to change it too much with service dogs. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping they just change it in regards to the emotional support dogs because it can be a little ridiculous, people trying to get their emotional support peacock onto the plane with them. Um, but we'll see how everything goes. And then there's also the, let's say it's the Fair Housing Act, and they cover the housing. So uh, if you have a landlord and the landlord has, I want to say four, but I'm probably wrong there, um, four or more units, um, they're covered under it. But if not, and he can prove it's like a hardship. For example, I say you have a Rottweiler as a service dog. And the landlord's insurance specifically forbids Rottweilers. Um, if he has more than four units, it doesn't matter. You can still be in there. But if not, if he shows that no one else will cover him and they won't cover him because of the Rottweiler, like there's stuff there and don't yell at me about it. If you have any questions about service dog laws, I have a book up on Amazon and that is my reference manual for whenever these things come up because I don't remember all of them. Um, I have to have them written down. So is Rich, can you deal with that? Yes. Um, no, now, huh? can you deal with it now? Yes. We can remember what I said about the no and the follow through. And if you just ignore it, it's not going to go away. There's a lot you've got to do that. Okay. Um, so the book is called Service Service Dogs Information Every Handler Should Know, I believe. But if you look up my name, Victoria Warfel, um, me and Teresa Jennings wrote it. She's the one who researched all my laws and stuff. So she is my go-to question person whenever questions come up or when people are like, this is what just happened to me. I'm like, talk to Teresa. Check out the book. I don't and it's terrible, but I can only have so much information in my head um, and laws that I use regularly, I know, but laws that I don't use regularly, I don't know, if that makes sense. Um, like we had an access issue years ago, how many years, like three years ago, I think it was, um, in Gainesville at a Mexican restaurant. And we had a little dog with us who wasn't vested, it was a service dog in training in our program. We just didn't have a vest that would fit him because he was so small. And the owner had ordered some, but they just, they hadn't arrived yet. So we went to this Mexican restaurant. The dog walked in on his own two feet, four feet on his own feet. I didn't carry him in. Like he walked in, he tucked underneath the table. He was beautiful behavior. And then we had to move because um, we found out a couple more people were going to be joining us. So we asked for a bigger table and they walked us to the front and they're like, that's it. No, we're not seating you. We don't believe that's a service dog. And I'm like, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe it because it's true. Um, here's the state statute saying that they don't have to be vested. Um, here's the stuff saying a service dog in training, which is what he is, can come out just like a service dog can come out and that as a trainer, like I can bring him out. Nope, I don't care. I don't believe you that that's a service dog. And no. So they ended up calling the owner of the Mexican restaurant. Um, it was Las Margaritas on Northwest 39th Avenue. And that was the last time we were ever there. 
Um, they call the owner, the manager calls the owner. And luckily a member of our group spoke Spanish because I don't. And the owner was like, <clears throat> I don't know if it's a service dog or not, but I don't want to see them. I don't believe it's a service dog. So we left and I called Teresa and I'm like, what do I do? And she's like, well, you need to call up the sheriff because it was in the county. It wasn't in the city. She's like, you need to call the sheriff and you need to have him make a report and tell him that it's this statute that he's violating. And then you'll have the report in case you do decide you want to do anything and go through with it. So we call up the sheriff and we're sitting there for well over an hour. We showed up. So we went over to another Mexican place that was super nice about it. And, um, we did a report and the sheriff was going to have us come out and talk to them about service dogs, service dogs and training, what is allowed and what is not allowed. And nothing ever followed through with that. Of course. Yay, Gainesville. Um, no, it was two years ago because it was right before we moved out here because um, they wanted us to come back to do it after we'd moved to the ranch. And I'm like, I'm happy to you tell me when and where and I will be there to instruct all the sheriff's department people on service dog laws, service dog etiquette, what they can't ask, what they can't ask. Um, you know, what a service dog looks like, what a service dog wears, you know, like, dude, that's right up my alley. But, uh, you know, like I said, those laws and stuff, they can get really. So what I do, let me show you on my phone here. I have, you can make these little short keys. So I have one for service dogs. So this is my little service dog. You touch it, it comes up. Service dog questions, that's the ADA one on the, the frequently asked questions. I like it. I refer to that. So I have that there. And then I have one, it's it's titled on here 413.08 FL. And when you click on that, that is the Florida statute for service dogs and service dogs in training. Okay. So if I'm having any issues, I can just click on that, pull it up and show it to them. Now you also can make a short key like that. What you do is you open up your phone, then you click the bottom where it has a little arrow pointing up and you can have favorites and that's what you do with it but yeah it comes up rights and responsibilities of an individual with a disability use of a service dog prohibited discrimination in public employment public accommodations and housing accommodations and penalties so that is the service dog statute and here it on subsection eight any trainer of a service dog while engaged in the training of such an animal has the same rights and privileges with respect to access to public facilities and the same liability for damage as provided for those persons described in subsection three accompanied by service animals. So pretty neat that, that we can do that. And I highly recommend everybody do that because it's really nice to have that access, that information at the push of a button and everyone has their phone on them all the time. Um, the other thing is if you are having an access issue, um, say this, oh, this happened to us. Um, we were at Disney at Epcot, leaving Epcot, and we had parked out in the parking lot. We needed to take a tram to get to the parking lot. Um, trams, and so we're in line, and the guy comes over and says, the manager of the Epcot, monor uh, Epcot trams, and I'm not allowed to get on it with my service dog. I said, yes, I am. I was on it yesterday at Magic Kingdom. I rode on it a few hours ago whenever we came here. Yeah, um, service dogs are allowed to be on there. And he's like, no, they're not. But this is what I said, well, then you tell me how I'm going to get out to my car because I'm not walking out there. And he said, well, next tram that comes through, I will block off the entire car for you. You guys can get on the car and then no one else will be on there. I said, fine. 
But as he's telling me that I'm not allowed to have my dog, I whip out my phone and I start recording. I make it very obvious that I'm recording. You know, open it up, start it going, I hold it up. Like it, You'd be kind of stupid to realize that you're not being recorded. Um, sometimes I'll say, I'm recording this, just to be, you know, obnoxiously clear about it. Um, we get out to the car. At first, it was embarrassing, first of all, because it was with Arrow, and he was perfect. Um, I don't know if he thought, like, Arrow's just going to start biting people like mad or what. But we get out to the car, and Rich drives home. Well, I compose a letter to Disney and told him what had happened, and that I didn't appreciate that. And they're like, that was totally wrong. He, you know, we will do um, training so he knows what he can and can't do service dog-wise. And I never had a problem after that with uh, service dogs and the tram. Okay. Um, another question. At what breed and age would you recommend a dog isn't fit for service work? So when do you know a dog isn't fit for service work? That depends. <laughs> That's the answer is it depends. Moving on to the next question. No, I'm kidding. Um, if the dog has been in training and there's an issue and we've kind of figured out what the issue is and training isn't helping, the dog should be a wash. Um, but it depends on what's going on. So for example, say the dog was supposed to learn these three tasks, but he only learned one task. Should he be a washout for service work? I don't know. Um, say the dog is two years old and you just got him and you haven't started training. Should the dog be a wash? Well, it depends on what you need him for. Um, it depends on how big he is too. You know, if he's a Great Dane and you haven't done anything and the dog's two years old, I don't know, you know, because they're only going to live for so long. Um, you know, could it be something that I need these 15 things done that would make my life easier, but I can teach the dog like five of them and that's going to be amazing? That would be great, you know? What if he doesn't do these other things It would really help too? You don't always get what you want. Um, so, yeah, I can't really say what point in age. Now, if there's any sort of underlying behavioral issue. Um, say your dog wants to attack people, attack other dogs, um, is a jerkwad. Maybe the dog should be washed out for service dog work, right? Um, say it's an over-exuberant puppy who was playing with another dog and nicked the other dog because he didn't have much of a coat. It's not the same thing, you know? Um, we've had dogs in for, for our service dog program who I'm like, this dog isn't going to cut it. You know, for me, the big thing is the temperament. There's three of them. The temperament of the dog. How's the dog going to be out in public? How's the dog going to be mauled by kids at Disney? How's the dog going to be, period, right? Um, so temperament. Medical. How is the dog physically? How is the dog um, health-wise? Um, does the dog have hip dysplasia? The dog should be washed out. Um, and how many legs does the dog have? We've had people who want to have, you know, their three-legged dog trained up as their service dog for mobility or for not mobility, and it's not going to happen because it's too much pressure on the remaining legs and joints. Um, Zoe, that's actually why we washed her out is because of her limp, and she's, she's getting bad. She's hobbling pretty bad. So, you know, we've tried all sorts of supplements and everything, and we're trying WinPro right now, W-I-N-P-R-O. I actually have a discount code if you guys are interested. It's Dream K9. It's D-R-E-A-M, the letter K, the number nine. And then I'll save you 15% off of your order, which is pretty cool. Um, but we have a whole bunch came in, and we have a whole bunch more coming in because I'm seeing a nice improvement using them. 
Um, so physical stuff, you know, yeah, that, that's going to wash your dog out. Um, we've had dogs come out. We had one who was out at like eight months old. We're like, oh, he's bunny hopping. Take him to a vet. Turns out he had hip dysplasia in both hips and one elbow. He was washed out. Like you, you can't continue working him as a service dog. Um, so there's the, the behavior, right? There's the health, right? Third one is they have to love what they do. Okay. And that's why Brew doesn't do service dog work. Like I'll use him in a pinch, but he much prefers hurting the cows. Um, Arrow loves his work. Gypsy loves her work. Roma loves her work, which is great. Um, we do get some dogs who are more like Eeyore, I guess, right? Like, I guess I'll do that, Pooh. I guess that's what we'll do today. I'll be your service dog. You know, but the dog doesn't get too excited about a lot of things. So, you know, like, that's okay. Um, but we've had other ones who were just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I hate you all. Even though the health is good, even though the temperament's good, their heart wasn't in it. Uh, we had one out here, and all the dog wanted to do was trail the chickens around the yard. wanted nothing to do with service dog work whatsoever. And I couldn't in good conscience put, it was for a girl who was diabetic. I couldn't put her life in that dog's hands. It, I couldn't. I just, no. The dog didn't want to do it. The dog wasn't going to do it. And maybe they're going to prove me wrong and say, no, we're going to work really hard at this. I don't know. But it's not a chance I was willing to take. I would rather have them start with a dog from, from puppyhood. And, you know, because there's a lot, especially with diabetes, with diabetics, with the lows and the highs that you can do to imprint them from a very early age to make training a lot easier. But you have to start them young, like eight weeks old, six weeks old, if the breeder will do it for you. You know, just it makes it a lot easier. Okay. Um, we did have a request to do a webinar on raw feeding versus kibble, and that's going to get, get me down a ramp page, so we'll do that possibly next week, but we'll do it sometime in November for sure, okay? A webinar on raw feeding and kibble. What are you going to do? Um, here's the last question, unless you guys have any for me, and if so, just let me know and just type away. What is the breast, breastfeed? It's the best breed to use as your service dog. And I get this question, guys, all the time, all the time from people. And I had a woman who I talked to over the weekend who, I don't know, maybe she's listening to this. I hope she is. Um, she caught up asking which would be best. And I want you guys' input, too, if, if you're listening, if you're on Facebook, if you're listening later when we upload it to the podcast or up on YouTube, what's your opinion? What's the best breed out there as a service dog in, in general? Like not, well, my dog, my first service dog was a Siberian Husky, right? I'm not going to say Siberian Huskies are the best service dogs, right? In general, they're not. Um, I'm a Malinois as a service dog. He's a breed I don't recommend anybody get as a service dog. Um, who else? We've had uncommon ones in, um, which is nice. But in general, I like Goldens. Labs and standard poodles. My absolute favorite, if I had to pick one breed for service work, it'd be golden retrievers. Pause down, right? You guys know me. Uh, and Jeanette, yeah, you're very welcome for answering those questions. Um, so best breed is a service dog. Like I said, in my opinion, is a golden retriever. They're happy. They love it. They're just kind of doofy. Um, but they're, they're fun. They're smart. They're small enough to travel easy, but big enough that you can use them for mobility if you need to. Um, 
So anyway, I get this call from this woman over the weekend and she wanted to know what the best breed. She had it narrowed down to three breeds. Great Dane, Mastiff, or German Shepherd. I'm like, none. None of them. Why? Because they're all guardian breeds and you're going to really have to be on it. And guess what? People who need a service dog, they all have a disability, right? You don't have a service dog unless you have a disability. Uh, and you don't want to have to constantly be on your dog for everything, right? You want to be able to relax and enjoy your dog. You want your dog to be able to work for you without you worrying about things. Think about it. If you're out in public and you're constantly worried about your dog, that's difficult. It's really, really difficult. So I was telling her about why I don't like them. You know, Mastiffs are very guardian-y, which is a bit of a technical word. You know that, right? Guardian-y? I wasn't actually listening. I mean, okay. Oh, I was totally listening. Yes, I totally agree. Yes. With that thing. Everything I say. Whatever. <laughs> okay. What is it? What are no. guardian-y? Mastiffs. For service dogs? I'm going to do it. Um, Great Danes. Now, here's the problem with Mastiffs and Great Danes is their itty-bitty lifespan because of their great big bodies. So, usually, the rule of thumb for Great see, Danes... Mastiffs is unfair because we only see the, the problem the, dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones that have um, problems. So. Yeah. Can you put more of those so, in the fridge, please? So, the, um, the Great Danes, right? Six-year lifespan. So, you get two years of training. Two years of work and two years of retirement. So that's a lot of work to go in for two years, right? Plus, they're going to eat a whole bunch, and they're going to poop a whole bunch. They have poops that you need, like, three bags to pick it up. It could be gross. Um, and you need to pick up your dog's poop whenever you have a service dog. You can't just, like, leave it there for somebody else. And they're the opposite of travel size. And they're the opposite of travel size. They're, like, supersized. Okay? But you could imagine them being a uh, massive... Uh, Support dogs. Oh, so that's it, is people think that um, Great Danes are going to be great for mobility, right? No. They have their own joint issues. They have their own. So even once their joints are fully closed at, see, you think 18 to 24 months, right? A year and a half to two years old? Mm, depends on the breed. You need to get the x-ray to make sure some of those big dogs aren't done growing until they're three years old or so. So if you can't, and then how much weight-bearing mobility do you need? If you need to walk with a cane, a wheelchair, a walker, or a scooter, that's what you need to walk with. You can't put all your weight on a service dog all the time. It is not fair to you, and it is not fair to your service dog. If you need help getting from, say, your wheelchair to your bed, like a transfer type of thing, that's a different story. Um, If you, um, my dog's no brace. I don't put pressure on Gypsy when I do it but I can brace on arrow, right? So what we do is we teach them the stand um, from a young age, what it is I want them to do whenever I do this. And then once they get the okay for it, then I can put actual weight on them. But I still, it's more for guidance and support than it is to hold my hold my weight. And that's for me getting up and down. Um, I can get dizzy with things. My knee could lock up and I need that extra support and I'm not buying anything I can climb up on. Um, so that's my dogs are portable right? Because they can come over here whenever I tell them to come over here and help me get up again. Um, so, so we'll do that. But I get people who are like, well, I don't want to walk with crutches. I don't want to walk with whatever. So I just want to put all my weight on the dog. And I'm like, no. Then people have the whole like, well, the dog has to be, 
at least so many inches tall and at least so many pounds. Okay. It's actually more of a, a dizziness. So, so, honey, if you want to be on here, you have to come over here. I'm not yelling across the the room at you. So we, for that, say you need a dog who's 150 pounds because that's what it says that you should have. Okay. Do you want to fit 150 pounds? Would a, would a fit 130 pounds be better? Um, or anything to get the dog up to 150 pounds, including having a fat dog. That's why I don't like the, well, this formula says that the dog should be so many pounds. Well, then just like feed the dog ice cream and bacon until he gets fat. No, don't do that. I was just kidding. Um, but, you know, a fat dog isn't going to cut it as a service dog. A fit dog, like arrows only, he wavers between um, 60 and 65 pounds. Okay. Um, 60 to 65 pounds of pure muscle. Uh, and, and like I said, he can do this stuff. Now, Gypsy is a couple inches shorter than he is, and she weighs 60 pounds. You know, she is a tank. Roma is about the same height. I think she might be a little bit taller. And Roma is, last time I weighed her, she was like 33 pounds. She wasn't 60 pounds, but she's like the same height as as Gypsy. Uh, So best breed as a service dog is, I like Goldens. Um, Here, Anjanette says, Goldens are labs. I know poodles are great, but I want to keep up on grooming, right? And Susan says, golden doodle, right? Take them and just combine them, guys. Um, no, I do like, you know, the golden doodles, they're fun. Uh, Labradoodles, they're fun. Um, we still want to make sure that you guys look at temperament and health, too, of the parents. Um, and I also was talking to somebody who said that she got a golden doodle and it sheds, or a labradoodle. She got some sort of doodle and it sheds. So, you know, it does happen. Um, Mary says, I tell others to look at Golden's or Labs, but I don't prefer those for myself. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, you know, I can handle, you know, like I said, I can handle a Malinois as a service dog, but I don't ever recommend them for anybody. You know, like he worked for us. He worked for us for a good long time. But the problem was we'd be out in public and people would see him and say, I want one of those. Look how good and calm he is. And I'm like, he's whack to do at the house because I let him be. He needs to burn off that energy. Um, but there's a reason I got a golden and a poodle, guys. <laughs> um, and Jeanette and Elaine about Rich. Oh, Deb, you're kidding. You want Loki? He just chewed up the couch while I was listening to you. Oh, Loki. Um, do you have his crate? Pop him in his crate. If he's going to use the couch as a chew toy. Mm-mm. So that might be part of it, too, is that he thinks he is king boss at your house because he's only puppy. Maybe I'll lend you Rue for a little bit. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so like I said, I was talking to her, um, about breed wise and I, I do, I like Goldens, like Labs, I like Poodles, I like the mixes of them, um, providing they're done well. And, you know, I want a dog that's going to work out best for you guys too. In general, most people can handle a Golden. Labs are a little bit more energetic. Poodles are usually a little bit calmer. Um, but they can handle a Golden. And I've had people say, well, Golden, they're, they're just like easy dogs. <laughs> yeah. They're easy to live with. They're easy to train. Well, then I'll just get a border collie. Don't get a border collie. Let's see if sheep to herd, cows to herd, goats to herd, and chickens to herd, or one of the above. You know, you need to honor what the dog was bred for for how many years, right? Like there's a reason that they took the wolves and they domesticated them into how many different breeds of dogs you know, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of different breeds of dogs. 
and they all have their unique characteristics, their unique traits, and you need to honor that. You do. You need to say, okay, you know, this is what it, what, <coughs> what we have. This is what's going on, and take it from there. Um, to say, I'm going to get a giant guardian nasty breed dog. I can't even think of one right now. And I'm going to make him into a therapy dog for those children and my service dog. And I go to Disney all the time. Like, it's not fair. It's not honoring the dog. It's not honoring the spirit of the dog. And I don't like that. Don't do that. Go with it. Especially if this is going to be your first service dog. If this is going to be your second or third service dog. If it's going to be the first one that you've helped owner train. Like, I don't care. Go with something easier. Don't go with something unique. Um, somebody was asking me about a wolf hybrid that they had. You can't use a wolf hybrid or a wolf or whatever, a wolf cross as a service dog because you can't prove that the, the rabies stuff doesn't work with them. So you can't use them as a service dog. Um, you want the look? Go with a Siberian Husky or Malmute. Guess what? They're going to be a lot harder to train. You're going to have to be on them a lot more. Um, and we have people come out because we do work with owner trainers. We have a lot of people come out with all different breeds. For example, right now we have Marvel who's a German short-haired pointer. We have Chance, who's a pit bull. And we have Remy, who is a standard poodle. And then we also have Huffington in boot camp right now. But the first three are service dog, service dog in training, or service dog prospects, okay? And they're three total different dogs, right? It is so important to get that right temperament and to see how they're gonna react under pressure, under stresses, uh, you know, if this is even gonna be a possibility, okay? Um, we had a dog who started training with us over the weekend. Her name is Panda. And if in the beginning she would have said, will this dog ever be a therapy dog or service dog? I would have laughed. Um, she'd come out a few weeks ago for an eval and the dog was just panting, pacing, whining the entire eval. Um, we started working with some of our new magic. I think that's what we call it, our new calm magic. And the dog settled down, sighed. Closed his eyes, relaxed, did good with the cat, started walking on a leash. I was so impressed. And I know because she's already, that was Sunday. We've been in contact yesterday, I think, and today on how um, everything's doing. And I'm really impressed that I don't know what's going to happen with this dog. And I don't want to say this dog will or won't be anything until we give training a chance. Because what happens is all the good intentions out the window. If I tell you the dog will or won't, you're going to believe me. So if I tell you your lab puppy is fantastic and he's going to be a great service dog and you do absolutely nothing, right? You don't work him. You let him run wild. You let him, you know, bite at you and draw blood on you and, you know, knock people over and um, bark at everybody who he sees and growl at other dogs. There's not going to be a service dog, right? But he had the potential. So what evals do is it just tells you the dogs you don't want, not the dogs who are definitely going to do it forever, no matter what. Okay, you still have to work and bring out the awesomeness of that dog, if that makes sense to you, right? So also, if I tell you this dog will never be a whatever, well, that's not fair either, because you need to help the dog get past whatever, you know, help him out with it. And then see, no, I mean, if the dog's like aggressive and he's trying to kill you, like that dog's never going to be, right? But what if the dog's just a little bit nutsoid? You know, like give them an opportunity and see what's going to happen. I think that's the least you can do, but you have to understand the effort that that's going to take. That if you're like, no, I really want a Mastiff as a service dog, 
well, then you're going to have to go out there. You're going to have to find Mastiff with health and with temperament that backs them up who have produced service dogs and therapy dogs in the past. You need to talk with the owners of those service and therapy dogs and see how the dog's doing, see what all they did. It is a lot of work on your part because I'm not doing it. Because if you want to work with me, I'm telling you to get a golden. Um, I'm not going to do all your research for you. That's part of what you have to do. You have to do that research. You have to check everybody out. You know, if you're like, I think I want to go with this breeder, like, I'm happy to help you out with it, but I can't do your homework for you. Um, you know, and that's, I've met Great Dane service dogs who are great. I've met Rottweiler service dogs who are great. And that's fantastic. But I've also met Goldens who were not soy dogs who would never be a service dog. You know, I met Labs who were aggressive and tried to kill me. It's not the fact that I'm telling you get a Golden, so run out and get a Golden, any Golden, no matter what type of Golden. Like you still have to make sure that you get the right temperament, the right genetics, the right dog out of that litter. Um, there's actually, there's a Volhard puppy test and it'll kind of tell you what, what the dog's going on, you know, like how the dog's going to be, if it's going to be an easy dog or not. So if your breeder will do that, that would be fantastic. Fantastic. And Janessa is most likely they didn't do diligence on crossing. Deb says that's where he's right now. Yeah. Loki in a crate. Good. <laughs> Good. Um, Terry says, oh, there you go. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Of Charka and Kara. Okay, so that's Panda's owner. She's a hot mess. But, like, I'm so impressed by what all that they're doing together and the reports that I've got back. So I'm so, so thrilled to see where Panda's going to be when I see her in just about a week and a half for our second session. So what we do when we work together is they get the online course to continue with and to work with at their own pace. And then we get together every other week to see how it goes. And it's nice because it gives them that time and we see better improvement. When we were doing sessions just a week apart, it was still five sessions. So I'd see them for just over, well, it was actually four sessions because the first one's about two hours. So I'd see them for a month. Now I see them for over two months, right? So I can make sure that the behaviors are good and that the new behaviors that pop up that we get to work with them on it. And it's really, really, really nice. And Antoinette says, for every breed, yeah, exactly. For every breed, you have to research. You have to check it. And you have to know the dog still might not make it. Even the organizations who do the health testing, who do the temperament testing, who have their own dogs, half of them still fail out. Now, here's the catch on that one. Half of the dogs will fail out. Well, some of them will become therapy dogs. Some of them will become... Um, like retirement home, therapy, community support dog type of things. You know what I mean? Uh, where they live there for, for all the, the residents to, to like love on this dog, right? A facility dog, that's what that's called. Um, now they've started, well, we'll turn him into an autism dog. You can't do that. Um, well, we'll turn him into a PTSD dog because that's easy. But you have to make sure that the dog can still handle being a service dog. So if the dogs can do service dog, those great public access is super smart, just can't do same mobility. And you're like, well, let's do PTSD. Okay. Like you could probably talk me into that one. But if your dog, the dog can't handle being a mobility dog out in public being worked. So let's turn him into a PTSD dog. That's not fair to anybody. So part of it is that, but here's the other thing. You want to hear the other part of it? The dogs who fail out. Some of them, it's because they can only use food and positive reinforcement and they can't wait and capture it down, which is my favorite way to teach it down with the puppies is not by luring them down with food, but waiting for them to down, click and treat. 
that's it. That's the best way to teach you down. Um, usually what happens is you get the dog into a sit and then you take that food from their nose, put it to the ground and then pull it out or push it towards the dog and the dog's going to down. You know what happens when you teach a dog that way? Usually you're stuck for the rest of your life. Every time you want your dog to down, you need to get your dog to sit first. Okay. Gets to be annoying, really annoying. So instead I like to capture the down. Well, some organizations won't let you capture a down. They won't let you stand on the leash and just wait the dog out. You have to lure the dog into a down. And if the dog will not down because he was lured into it, the dog will not be a service dog. If the dog will not work beautifully on a martingale collar, the dog will not be a service dog. And these are ridiculous rules. I'm not saying the dog has to be on a prong collar getting yanked around. I'm not saying the dog has to be on an e-collar getting zapped if he doesn't down. That's stupid, and I would never say that. What I'm saying is you have to use the right tools, you have to be open-minded, and then your dropout rate is going to be lower. Okay? Make sense? I hope so. Mary says she's starting her research now two or three years early. So exactly, Mary, that's, that's part of it is you have to start looking. For Gypsy, we were looking a couple years before. And so whenever it came time to, to get her, you know, because we kind of talked about it here and there, but I was doing all the research and Rich had no idea what all, you know, I was checking into and everything else. So when it came time, I'm like, I found the breeder. He's like, Nikki, we just started looking. I'm like, no, you just started looking. I've been looking for years and this is who I want to go with. Um, so yeah, that's always fun with him. He has no idea what I do on the computer. And I'm like, well, I'm not on Facebook or playing video games. I'm researching dog stuff because I always research dog stuff. Um, and Jeanette says facility dogs. Yeah. They want to make them family support dogs also. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like I said, it's not fair um, for the dog. You know, I mean, it is because you want them to have something to do, but it's not fair for the family if he's really not cut out for it. You know what I mean? Um, Terry says capture worked great for goose is down in, in command now, even without treats. Perfect. Terry, I love that. Um, the other thing Anjanette says is I believe some of these puppy raisers fail the dogs too. Oh, Anjanette, a hundred percent agree with you. Exactly. I've talked to people because we don't have a puppy raising program, right? Um, we work with owner trainers. So if you're like, I don't have a dog, I can help point you in the right direction. We can talk breed stuff, tell you what to look for. You can do your research. I have my short lists of um, golden lab poodle breeders. Um, I have those. So, you know, I do have people who ask for the list. And so I get them the list and send it over to them. But I've also had people tell me like, oh, I couldn't be a puppy raiser. I couldn't get rid of them. I, I just have to kind of like make them bad. So I got to keep them forever. And I'm like, well, that's kind of rude. Why would you even do it then? Um, yeah, it, it's hard to do it. And then they also don't have the support and the continuation. Okay. And what do I mean by this? We were invited a few years ago up to Gainesville to do something with, I want to say the Girl Scouts. Uh, and they all were doing, not all of them, but like this whole big maybe a dozen of them were puppy raisers for one of the service dog training programs in Florida. So they're puppy raisers for, it, and so they all are meeting at this park. Now I was there. One of my other trainers was there. We each had our dogs with us. Um, I think I had Era and she had her dog who was kind of puppy at the time. And um, so we're there and these puppies, these puppy raiser puppies all come over. They're all, pulling at the end of the leash, horking <coughs> because the leash is tied on their neck. They're all jumping up on people. They're all mouthing people. And they range in age from, I think around four months old was the youngest up to a little over a year old. 
maybe 13 months old. So four to 13 months old. And these dogs were heathen obnoxious. Like I would be, and they all had vests on, which drove me nuts. Cause I'm like, none of these dogs have earned that vest to say that they're a service dog in training. They were all out of control, wild, crazy. The people didn't know what they were rewarding. They were just giving the dogs treats for jumping up and mouthing at their hands. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. Which is why, you guys want to, ready for something? When we breed Gypsy next year, hopefully, when she passes her health testing and everything, because she's she turns two in August, I want to have... Uh, another part of our online course for just puppy stuff. Right now we have like the potty training. We talk about the clicker stuff, but I want to talk, you know, we get a lot of questions on potty training. So I'm going to redo that eventually. We get a lot of questions on puppy mouthing and biting, when to start, what tools to use. So I'm going to do a whole thing on puppies and puppy raising, puppy training. And then the people who, this is what we're thinking right now, the people who are looking for service dogs. And if the dog tests that he has service dog potential, I'm going to put a package. So it's basically puppy and program. So they get the online course and they get that. And if it's a service dog puppy prospect, they're going to get the service dog course, right? Along with the puppy and everything else. If it's just a pet prospect, they're going to get the puppy course and maybe the dream dogs course. So they're going to come with that training. And hopefully, you know, as they get deposits on the puppies, um, I'm going to send them the online courses so they can start watching it right away and know that we're here for them. You know, just because she's gypsy and she's freaking amazing and her three baby daddies that we're looking at are all freaking amazing dogs themselves. Um, it's to work. Like there's still dogs. You still have to do the training. A border collie is wicked smart, but you still have to keep him occupied or he's going to destroy your house. Like they don't train themselves. You have to train them. And it's a matter of what it is that you do. So yeah, I, I totally 100% agree that a lot of the puppy raisers do fail the dogs. And I think a lot of that has to do with the program not being as, hmm, what word do I want to use here? Proactive, maybe, as they could be. Um, because a lot of puppies do have issues. Um, and the reason, too, that we work with the owner trainers is because they're invested in it heavily invested in it. They know that this dog, they want it to be their service dog and they're willing to do the work for it. Not only that, but the dog bonds with them. So while, yeah, potty training is a pain in the butt for four months, they get the dog at two months old until they're about six months old. They're not reliable potty trained wise. Usually you're going to get the odd one out. Who is, you're going to get the odd one out. Who isn't um, even afterwards, but usually by around six months old, they're getting really good with potty training, which is really nice, but it's four months of heavy duty work right with the dog it's also heavy duty bonding and like they're super wicked cute as puppies now i know not everybody can handle puppies so i'm sure as hope service dogs grows we will get puppy raisers the puppy raisers will be able to uh you know to work with the dogs and to to get them started for the people and everything else but i really like the idea of working with the owners um i'd like to have some dogs started as well um, for people who can't wait yeah, tons of work. Yeah, and Jeanette. I mean, and Jeanette bred a litter. What was that in the springtime? And she she did a lot of little video things. So guys, friend and Jeanette, she is fantastic. Um, she cutest golden puppies, and it was a lot of work. I'm watching this and I'm like, can Anjanette just breed the dogs? <laughs> 
say she moved to Florida um, because she did a fantastic job with them. She got them exposed to so many different things. You know, she got the cutest pictures and videos. And she's looking to breed again if you guys are looking for ones. I highly recommend. Um, Susan says, great plan. And correct breeding and whelping is tons of work. Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's, I'm excited for it whenever we do Gypsy. But I also know that, you know, for those two months, we're not going to be having a lot of boot camp dogs in the house because they're going to be, the puppies are going to be getting our attention. Um, Mary says, I was recently told by a program that you can never make a correction because it will prevent the dog from alerting and working. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. I've got another story for you guys. I know we're running a little late tonight. That's okay. Cause this is a good one. So you guys know we had a training center up in Gainesville and we did group classes and like really anyone could join the group classes as long as your dog like wasn't trying to kill everybody. And even then we still probably would take you in for group classes and just kind of put you in the corner there. Okay. So we had a, a girl who had got a, either a Belgian shepherd or a Dutch shepherd. And so she's in there and this dog is a maybe around four months old, I think, and was just freaking bonkers nuts barking at the end of the leash, biting the leash, biting her, barking at every dog, squaring off at every dog, like just so full of himself that it was unreal. Now, I had my Malinois. Like, I'm like, that's not okay behavior in a group class, especially, because we had a bunch of other puppies in the class too. So she stayed after, and I'm like, do you want help stopping this behavior? Yes, yes, please. I, I, I don't know what to do. So we worked on stopping the behavior. We gave him probably an extra 45 minutes, you know, playing around with him and, you know, getting him to just like chill out and be calm. Okay. That was, it was a nighttime class. It was a weeknight class. She calls me up the next day or, or sends me an email and says that she talked to her, her Schutzen instructor, because this was before it was called IPO. She talked to her Schutzen instructor and her Schutzen instructor said that she couldn't take this group class um, because they want the dog to be as crazy and they want the dog to bark at everybody and to bite everything. So then whenever the dog hits a year or two years old and they start giving the corrections, the dog doesn't flatten. The dog still has some pop. What the heck are you talking about? Like you saw Arrow. Let me show you. If you're if you're watching this, there's Arrow over by the bed, right there. That's Arrow. That's my crazy Malinois by my crazy Golden, right? He's not running around like bonkers. He's relaxed and calm, as he should be. There is a time and a place for everything. But so she dropped out of class, and I wondered what happened to her. So I actually ran into her like a year later at PetSmart. We had to stop in and get treats or something, right? So we're a pet smart and I'm like, that person looks really familiar. And she had a, it was a Malinois Dutch. And this was, like I said, years ago when they weren't as popular as what they are now. So I went home and I looked up and yeah, that was her. So I looked her up on Facebook. <laughs> Yay, Facebook. And looked back and that dog got to be too much for her, that first one. Guess what? He got to be too much and she couldn't handle him anymore. So she sold him and she got this other dog. And so she's doing the same thing all over again with the other dog. Because, you know, when something doesn't work, just keep repeating it and you're going to get the same results, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what the problem is. Instead, if she would have worked on getting the dog to be calm and then getting the dog to be crazy and getting the like, and there's a time and a place for everything. But I think part of that has carried over into the service dog wor world that you can never tell a dog no because it'll flatten them. Baloney, it'll flatten them. I mean, if you're harsh and your dog looks at you funny and you just jerk the crap out of them, right? Don't do that. But yeah, I mean, but that's just bad training. It's not because you gave a correction or you told your dog no, but I've also heard that. You can't tell your dog no. If you tell your dog no, he's never going to want to work for you. 
really? <laughs> Have you met my dogs? Um, not that they're perfect, but they're pretty decent. You know, I'm happy with them. But that's the problem. And that's the misinformation, guys, that is spewed out everywhere. And it's difficult. And it's hard whenever you're telling somebody, like, no, you can use a prong collar on a puppy. And they're like, you devil. You can not use a prong collar on a puppy. You will kill him. How crazy is your puppy? And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? You realize a prong collar is the safest one to prevent tracheal damage, right? Prong and e-collars. Started with the prong collar, they don't pull. You can walk them on a slip blade. We've had Roma, what is she, seven months old? We got her at three months old. So we've had Roma for four months. She has the best walk out of any dog I've ever had. Like she is just, her heel is just beautiful. Um, and Jeanette, yeah, the puppies were born in May. And she's going to be doing the puppies again soon. And it will be her last litter. Aww. And her dog, Grace, um, is fully certified for everything. Mary says about that being insanity. Yeah. Yep. And Terry says, Duke's dogs are crazy when working, but will calm just like Arrow. You know, yeah, Terry, exactly. Like, Arrow loves to tug. We'll get a bite sleeve out. We'll get a tug, a bite wedge out. And, like, he will go to town on that. He is nuts. But then he can chill out at Disney and be a service dog, too. So good dogs have that on and off switch. Bad dogs stink and no one wants to be around them <laughs> um here mary says my boss told me no all the time and it, i still worked for them right exactly um so that's part of it and it's hard because you have me telling you guys this stuff right but then you have all oh, the websites saying that prong collars are the devil and all these other websites you can only use positive reinforcement only and you can never tell a dog no who do you believe? You believe me because I'm actually showing you proof, right? I know what I'm doing. Um, and I've been loving head halters on the dogs lately. Loving the gentle leaders. Using those quite a bit with them because um, I want to get better at using them. And I feel like I am. So it makes me very happy. We had Chance out today rocking his gentle leader and that's all he had on. Well, that and his flat collar with his jingle tags on it. Um, but, you know, it's not the tools. It's the training. It's the technique will just make things easier. I can't tell you how many times people would come out to the training center and they'd see me, um, you know, maybe put a prong collar on a dog and use it and the dog would do whatever. So they'd be like, oh, I'm just going to run out and get a prong collar, right? That's all I need is a prong collar. No, it's, it's not the tool that trains the dog. It's the trainer who trains the dog. The tool just makes it easier. So you don't hurt your shoulders. So you don't, you know, trip and fall and crack your head open. That wouldn't be fun. It's not fun. Don't do that. Um, but the problem is, a lot of times, these sport dog ones, these service dog ones will wash out, especially the service dog ones, will wash out dog after dog after dog after dog. And it is draining. It is draining whenever, um, you know, just as a trainer, whenever I get questions from people and they don't take my advice and they do what they want to do and then the dog washes out. So then they get another dog and I'm like, no, like part of my heart goes with every person that we work with. Um, and sometimes I know it is very frustrating because uh, you're not getting that just right dog. But sometimes it's also frustrating because just listen to me and do what I tell you to know. <laughs> I'm right. I'm always right. Ask Rich who will tell you I'm always right. <laughs> okay. Let me know if you guys have any other questions. It's been about an hour and a half in right now. And my throat's getting dry and he, I ran out of water and 
I don't have anymore. So um, for that, you guys, you've got to think about things. You've got to do your research. You really do. You need to figure out what's best for you in your situation. And hopefully that's a golden or something like a golden. Um, if you're like, I want to get a Tasmanian guarding leopard, that's probably not going to be the best breed to train up as a service dog. I had a friend years ago, I told you Jedi was running in a field with the dog and they ran into me and I ended up on the ground. That was a Saluki. Like she had one and she had two actually. One of them we just adored. He'd come for sleepovers, you know. Um, he'd sleep in Luke's room. Luke loved this dog. And he was great. But Saluki don't usually make good service dogs, right? Well, he wasn't a service dog. But like there's a reason, even though I really like this dog, I wasn't like, let's get a Saluki as a service dog because they are tall. You know, like that would work. You know, there's sight hounds. You know, go with the ones that, what do most service dog organizations use, right? There's a reason for that. And they still have the failure rate, guys. Oh! Um, but hopefully by being more open-minded and that knowing that it's not a matter of the tool, that it's a matter of how the tool is used will help out with everything, right? We can only hope. I mean, Jeanette says, thank you for all the information. And so does Mary. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for letting me rant a little bit tonight. Um, we've had somebody coming on the last couple of weeks. It's been really weird. Like after I close it out, I always see a new comment from this person, but I don't know because I don't see it whenever it's live. And the comment, the question has been, do we, do we use prong collars on puppies or small dogs? Heck yeah, we do. Why? Because it's safest for the dog's neck and trachea. If I have a flat collar on, it's going to hit right here when the dog pulls and it's going to hurt the dog's trachea. If I have a prong collar on, it's going not to hurt the dog's trachea and the dog's going to be like, oh, wait a minute. But again, it's the training. It's not the tool, right? Um, Guy at the store today was saying that he had one of those spiky prong collars and it worked for a bit and then it didn't work. Again, it's the technique, it's not the tool. You still have to know what you're doing. So he got one of those harnesses that go across the dog's shoulders and clip at the dog's chest. So when it pulls, the dog's really uncomfortable and so he doesn't pull anymore. And that's been working. I don't know how long that's been working. But I don't like that because it inhibits the dog's gait. It makes them instead of walking in normal steps with little tiny little baby steps, right? No, that's not good structurally for the dog. I don't like it. Um, head halters, yeah, I'll use those. I mean, some of them have so many straps that it looks like Hannibal Lecter by the time you're done with it. Go with a gentle leader, it's easy, right? Um, Susan, thank you. See you Thursday. I'm looking forward to that. Kara enjoyed it as well. So good. So take care, guys. Let me know what questions for next week, and I will see you then.